Hello and welcome to High Tea Obsessed. I am your host, Thomas Boomhauer, and today I am joined by not one, but two very special guests. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are not in our usual habitat. No, we're not. <laughs> and apparently we have a hard time breaking our patterns of uh, intros. <laughs> yeah, we can't do anything but what we always do. Yep. It's a, it's a good time. Thank you for inviting us, of course. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on. So, how are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. No no complaints. Usual work day. Got in. God, I don't know. I didn't do that anything that interesting today that I can think of or rant about. PJ, did you do anything interesting at school? <laughs> uh, no. No, I didn't. But I was also working all day and then... In preparation for this, I watched a movie <laughs> that I absolutely hate. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get into it at some point, but we'll tease yeah. it with that. Yeah, right. I thought it was going to be a different movie as well when we were chatting about it earlier. And then you like broke it at me and I was like, oh, so I watched the wrong movie by technicality. But we all know it. It'll be fine. Yeah, I just wanted to. It, I, it's been so long since I've watched so many movies that I love or don't love. Um <laughs> And I figured it'd be good to sort of refresh mm-hmm. myself a little bit. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't a fun time for me. All right. Well, you know, I'm a little in the dark, but <laughs> I'm sure I appreciate the sacrifice. <laughs> You'll understand, I think, when we get there to some degree. It's 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 definitely a movie you know. We should definitely preface it that way. Oh, sure. it's, it, yeah. You definitely know it, what it is. It's a well-liked yeah, it's movie. One, it's got to be in the top people. 25 best-selling movies of all time, right? Oh, yeah. higher than that. <clears throat> anyway. You know, I've been listening to you guys for a little bit now, and I, you guys uh, started reaching out to me a little bit on Instagram talking about some of the book reviews I started posting. So I was like, all right, let me give these guys a mm-hmm. listen. Let's get into it. Like their takes. They got a really cool show. Let's get them on the podcast. What I was hoping for is that you guys should first tell the audience a little bit about yourselves and then we'll get into a little bit about your podcast pj you you kick it off okay uh because it hasn't been mentioned yet uh the podcast that we do is words and whiskey but we'll we'll get into that after we introduce ourselves (laughs) so (laughs) my name's pj i live in the frigid frigid tundra of minnesota and i i'm currently in school for mechanical engineering i Prior to that, got a degree in physics, and uh, in between there, worked as a professional brewer for a few years, um, on top of a few other positions within the beer and beverage industry in general. That's kind of my life right now. Yeah, and I'm Cross. Um, I am in sales. I live in North Carolina mostly. <laughs> um, I, I do I do a decent amount of travel at this point. Um, but yeah, so I, I work for a healthcare startup um, inside of an application space and do that. And then on top of that, I have a love of fiction, a love of reading for a very long time in my life. And uh, yeah, so I, I've just been a voracious reader forever. And that's part of the reason. I think I saw at one point your podcast um, being shared maybe by HowlerPod when their episode came out or something like that. So I gave it like a follow. I looked and I was watching along for a bit. Um, and I started like scroll through and I noticed some of the book covers and I was like, huh, 
I've read these books. I've maybe even read these books with PJ. So then I started commenting as you start to add to them over time. Um, and yeah, yeah, now I've, I've got some feelings. PJ barely reads, which is kind of the purpose of our podcast. So very much is. So um, getting to that a little bit, I have always been a terribly slow reader. Um, and that's discouraged me my entire life from reading. So hearing all these cool stories about these books that Crossland's been reading or stories that I know I would appreciate and know I would like kind of want made me want to pursue this with Crossland. Um, it would force me to read more and enjoy whatever stories were put forward in front of me. Yeah, and it was basically a way for me to force feed the shit that I like to PJ. It's great. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. very worthy goal that's what uh books are for you know sure. they bring people together get new ideas out there and then i also made it so we got drunk on camera <laughs> not on camera on mic <laughs> and kind of married those two together so we uh every episode we create a cocktail and have a different craft beer sometimes different sometimes we just grab whatever's in True. in our fridge still um so we get to talk about what I've always gravitated towards, which is sort of the craft of different alcohols. So, and I, I feel like reading and, and drinking go hand in hand a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Especially when you start talking about them, it gets you that little exactly. bit of, uh, you vibe in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, initially it was a good way for us to kind of open up to, to kind of break into the, the nugget of like where this started to some degree we um we the pandemic started pj and i have been friends since elementary school so we're we're 26 i'm 27 now actually shit uh you're 26 i'm 27 and we've been friends forever uh like a lot of the same things like a lot of kind of the similar fantasy sci-fi elements um grounded in a lot of the same humor uh comedians and everything like that music is one of the big things that we bonded over and at the beginning of this pandemic, I discovered a TV show by one of our favorite writer-directors, Alex Garland, was coming out uh, called Devs. Um, Alex Garland did Ex Machina and a number of other things. And I was like, oh, the whole thing's out. We should both buy it and watch it together and watch through this whole thing. And so we just binged most of it over two days. I think we watched the entire show over two days, and we just couldn't stop talking about it. And I was like, this reminds me of a book that I read kind of similar to Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. And I was like, PJ, it'd be really cool. We could get drunk together remotely because it's a pandemic and everything else and read this book. And we could do like 50 or 60 pages at a time and kind of give it a go that way. And that's kind of where this Mm -hmm. blossomed out of is uh, getting drunk together, reading a little chunk of a book and then talking about it. Is that the order you guys do it in? Well... (laughs) Let's see. We read over the course of a week. We take a shot at the beginning of the podcast. We generally have a beer and a mixed drink, and then we talk about it. I guess we get drunk over the course of the podcast. Originally, we also had drinking rules incorporated. There's a little bit kind of, that of still. We yeah, refined they're, they're them now. Actually, baked into the podcast, uh, mostly with my yeah. predictions we, and we did. whether or not I'm right about them. Yeah. Yeah. We did record, it, it should be noted, uh, when, when we started this idea, I told PJ three books. I was like, all right, the three books you're going to buy is you're going to buy Dark Matter, you're going to buy 
Recursion, because we'll probably do both of those. And then you're going to buy Red Rising. You told me Red Rising first. first. I bought that like a month before we started Blake Crouch. (laughs) You're right. I did tell you... I did tell you to buy Red Rising second because you bought Dark Matter first. Yeah, I think you're right. right. Um, But it was before Recursion. We bought Recursion because we need more filler because we were still figuring out our stuff. Um, But we recorded an entire podcast like in our exact style, um, but very unrefined (laughs) um, for for Dark Matter and for Recursion before we published the Red Rising podcast is the first one. Yeah, so something like 14 episodes, Yeah, 14 or 15. That we just... (laughs) won't re- release including a guest episode with one of our best friends bill who has read the, both the books <laughs> justice for bill <laughs> that's true that's Rip true bill. sorry bill i did not. i did invite him on for uh for red rising the original book and he was like ah, i gotta i'm buying a house right now and i was like okay all right fine fair enough bill but i i think that the fact that we did all that recording was beneficial to us we kind of hit the ground running as far as released episodes with editing quality, with just recording quality in general. We still improved after, what, half a dozen episodes. It got even better, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. listening back to some of those old ones is a little bit rough. It's, uh, I'm, I'm glad we kind of did the practice and then got it figured out before starting to tackle this series. Um, I'm really glad that our buddy Andrew, our editor, jumped in. Um, and started, you know, kind of taking an active role in our editing process and saving us a ton of headache and time. It's uh, it's pretty great to have an editor, not going to mm-hmm. lie. Yeah, editing is the worst because you have to <laughs> listen to it. And by the time you're done listening, you're like, I'm an idiot. This is terrible. Just, How many times do I have to say, um? Oh, my God. I know. PJ, yep. actually. Oh. <laughs> that was me for the longest time. Now, apparently, it is kind awesome. of funny. It, it's shifted a little bit. What PJ used to do more than anything else is he would think about it and then say all of the words at once <laughs> and it was to edit that was just oh sometimes it just it, it's good though it's ironed it out we're, we're good it's fine yeah, now I just say whatever's on my mind right away, and it, it's unintelligible, <laughs> it's but at least it's words. Worst case, get it taken out. <laughs> yeah. We started with the shot now, so yeah. pre-lubricate exactly. comes a little bit. Yeah. Also, we uh, we go through our show notes ahead of time, and I already have my drink made, so by the time we're done with the show notes, half the time it's gone. That's a recent trend. You're off to the races at that point. Meanwhile, I haven't taken a sip because I'm sitting there like, okay, does this question make sense? Should we talk about this? Should we? Is this? Yep. No, did are you arguing with me over this fact that we've talked about seventeen times? Crossland also likes to remind me all the times where I've predicted things that would happen, and uh, suddenly it happens. I'm like, had no idea that was going to happen. <laughs> like I just forget about all the predictions that I make. <laughs> that is one of the things that I do like about your show because um, you know, as someone who has listened to podcasts where they talk about books that they've both read, what you guys do is so PJ you haven't read the full book ahead of time and then you're making predictions and reacting to them live and you're left uh hanging sometimes (laughs) like incredible cliffhangers yeah and so it's just it's like very interesting because especially with the red rising series Mm -hmm. you just your instinct is to blitz through them Mm -hmm. and once you can't you actually have to like critically analyze what's happening and what could happen 
Uh, it's just interesting to see that because I blitzed through these books, so I never did that. I was just like, bang, they're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wish I would have been able to. That was uh, a little bit of a sticking point for me this last uh, these last couple of weeks where Crossland made me wait like, what, three weeks between the end of two yeah. and the beginning of three? Yeah, with that with that cliffhanger alone, <laughs> it's like absolute torture. Doing our episode with uh, with Tib was a, a great time between Golden Sun Um but yeah, it, the delay that PJ's been through. I've had entire friends who have picked up the series and read it in the time that we went through the first book on the podcast and are like, I can't believe that PJ is going so slowly through this. How is he tolerating this? I'm not. It's That's the secret. The other secret is just I have a whole lot of other stuff going on. Out. So Yeah, sometimes we panic read right before the show. That's happened at least once or twice for me. Actually, the last two weeks, I think I've done the notes on the last day. Like, I finished them two hours before our show, and it'll be like, okay, they're done. <laughs> Barely. There was there was one episode where I just... This is why... This story right here is why I'm so constantly, like, clarifying where we're reading to at the end of each episode. Because there was one time where Cross said, through chapter 17, or whatever it was, or... Two chapters. He said two chapter 17. So I read up until the start of chapter 17. He's like, oh, what do you think of chapter 17? I'm like, uh, well, give me, give me a couple minutes. And I, we paused the podcast and I read that, that chapter. Because I just didn't, didn't realize that we were supposed to read that one. Yeah, I think that was like the third episode. Yeah, it was, it was pretty early on, yeah. but I'm. The third Red Rising still episode. Still traumatized but, yeah. by it. So we've gotten. We've got a lot of fail safes now, as far as calendar mm-hmm. goes, and I still pull it up every time to, to make sure I'm reading properly. Yeah, it's important. Um, but circling back to your comment about like our our format of Crossland sort of being the expert and me being the novice is, I mean, kind of how we describe it. Um, I know I've mentioned this a couple times on our podcast, but I, I always find it very, very interesting what sort of viewership we get. And a vast majority of the people that listen to us seem to be people more in Crossland shoes. Whereas setting out, I really assumed this would be sort of followed by people more in my shoes, where they want uh, motivation to read more. And that, that has not been the case. There's there's a few select people that, um, especially people that we're friends with that haven't read these stories that are doing it with us. But um, for the most part, the people we interact with online are people that are already huge fans of the series who are sort of going through and reliving it through my eyes, I guess, a little bit, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. And like I said, it's I think it's one of the best parts of your show. Uh, it's just like getting almost that content high from the first time <laughs> yeah. you're reading it. Yeah. To to be fair, I I think it's I think it's only fair to say that like I always thought that that was going to be the very interesting part of the show because I thought that we were going to get you know naturally when you're thinking about the way that things are naturally going to market, Red Rising fans are going to be the ones that are going to gravitate towards a Red Rising show, not random viewers. But people might roll forward with us into new books, new series, and then we might have kind of accommodation viewers that might happen that'd be really cool that's kind of the goal but i i think what i love the most about interacting with a lot of these people is that i actually get all of the like spoiler talk to some degree i get to be in all of the other channels and talking being like 
oh, how PJ's not going to be able to handle when this happens. And I get to like drum all of that excitement up for other people. And that's a lot of fun for me. Um, And also like taking PJ through him being completely blind. I think that it's a unique angle on the entire thing as opposed to something like binge mode. It feels um, fresh because you do get kind of that relive contact. I think that's a great, great use case for the, the word. Um, Yeah. That's, that's entirely what, what we're going for. So I love that. Wasn't what PJ thought we were, but it's what I thought we were. No, I so I, I guess that's that's where a little bit of a difference, just from perspective. Crossland knew that there was a really big fan base of Red Rising. I had no mm-hmm. idea, so I, I hadn't thought of us as starting out as a Red Rising podcast or anything like that, but rather as just kind of a general book club podcast where the the book series that we were tackling wasn't as important as the process of reading where that's proven to be completely wrong for the better, I suppose. Like, I, I think it, I think it works out really well the way. Yeah. It I, I think it's a, I think it's definitely a combination of things. I think that we're ultimately we are, we aren't, we aren't trying to be Howler pod by any means. We love those guys. Um, and I've really enjoyed listening to their podcast. They are totally devoted to a singular fan base. I love so many, and I know everyone else does inside of these podcasts, I love so many different things of fiction. My ultimate goal would be to critically analyze a lot of the things that I love with PJ, which I think is what I would lean into. That's why I really get a lot of joy out of this, is I get to pick it apart and maybe pick apart some things that people didn't notice the first time because you're reading through it so fast. Um, and something that you might just not appreciate because, you know, you're, you're blitzing through a book. You can't necessarily see some of the, the handiwork that goes into it, which is where I really get my jollies off inside of the podcast. Did I just say get my jollies off? I did. <laughs> you did. Damn it. And it's staying in. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Are you like a 1950s radio host or something? Apparently. Apparently. Um, I think that is another... Uh, gift of your podcast is that you guys are able to critically analyze these books but not in a way that's boring or like AP English and like an old dick like you guys are fresh <laughs> and I think that's probably because you are getting drunk as the podcast progresses so it's yep. like it's fresh it's interesting and it's, it's just not boring yeah uh, there there are definitely times where we either become too heavy-handed with what we're drinking or sipping on over the course of the podcast and like the Who end would do that just peters out and we have to like cut out so much shit <laughs> it's, it's uh sometimes the end of our podcast is a miracle that we get there in the first place <laughs> like, last night for instance we recorded or two nights ago monday monday tuesday because my birthday was monday we uh we recorded and we went like 30 minutes over what we normally go um and it'll it'll scrounge up to be a great episode no question but we definitely dragged on through the last chapter <laughs> on our recording i think a uh, a quiet benefit to us getting sort of tuned up while recording and having someone else edit it for us is i get so much enjoyment from listening to my own podcast it's true (laughs) i just all right didn't remember that part didn't didn't realize we said that that's a hot take all right (laughs) Um, Uh, yeah a notable episode for takes like that are actually our guest episodes so far um but like the end just is like a nice soft brown out of each of those episodes (laughs) the first episode for me is not a soft brown out the first episode for me was a very the first wrap-up episode with my brother 
very tough time on my side of the podcast. I that that episode was almost three hours long when we recorded it, and I think it ended up a like right around one fifty. I rambled so much. I got drunk so quick. It was a mess. I vomited on the door on my way out of the room after we had ended the episode. It was a bad time. Not bad after time. we ended the episode, Crossland. Well, we were still I, we'd ended the recording. No, we'd ended the recording because I actually I did check. I wanted to see if I had the audio of what that sounded like. We were, but I was we still, still in Discord call, when that happened. We were yeah. still in a nice uh, cold open. <laughs> oh no! Um, oh no! I just I think that's the most recent episode I listened okay. to uh, because, like I said before, we started recording. Mm-hmm. I'm now trying to do the experience where I listen, I re-listen to the uh, same chapter you guys are about oh, to talk cool. about. So I'm working so, to that. But uh, your brother came in hot. <laughs> yeah, my brother he is was like, always comes in hot. He's great. He was like, I'm about to be a star. Let me, everyone clear out. <laughs> that's that's um, that's the way Bingham is. So it's uh, it's not a shock. He's actually, uh, he got, he started Twitch streaming and within two days made affiliate. Um, no, just, like two weeks. It, no, it, it was. It takes a couple he, days to, to, like, you need to have sustained viewership for like a week in order to get it so it's it's eight hours of streaming you're right it was a week um but ultimately made it over the course of a week and was just like what the fuck like he didn't expect you know people to actually show up because he just makes hot takes on twitter like he is actively trying to go viral on twitter like that is his lifeblood (laughs) and (laughs) And he is funny the the craziest thing is that he's good at it like yeah (laughs) anyone who does that usually is just bad at it but he's he's genuinely really really funny even though he's trying too hard to be funny so it mm-hmm. works out for him yeah yeah it's it's fascinating but i'm glad i'm glad you got enjoyment out of that um i had to cut out most of my dialogue throughout the back half of that episode so there's um there's some notable gaps i ranted about cassius for like 10 minutes at one point good ranting or bad ranting i i mean the, uh... i think i just mumbled through all of the various word salad that composes Cassius without actually saying okay. anything meaningful. Yep. It sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. Um, sounds bad. Going back, you mentioned that you're listening to the book along with us. Uh, so you're, you're yes. on the audiobook train with us a little bit. Uh, yes. I, I originally, I read mm-hmm. them all and then got on the audiobook to, for like the rereads, but I have repaid, like reread, physically reread them all. Uh, I think the original three I've reread three times and listened to twice, and then the uh, the second trilogy I've read twice and listened to. Once. Okay, um, we're my my typical sort of week is composed of one time reading through it and then one time listening through it, or at least that's what I try to do. I love that audiobook, like that that reader. We we suck his dick all the time on our show. <laughs> like he's yeah. so good at it. You know, it's, it's especially prevalent. I would say to anyone listening, um, our Red Rising episodes were definitely, you know, like it, it's so tough because everything, every episode you feel like is the best episode. Every next episode feels like the best episode. But Golden Sun felt like it was on a completely different planet from our Red Rising podcast. It was consistently better. Mm-hmm. So my hope would be to anyone listening, 
if the first i'm actually like i'm at the point where i think i might go back and re-edit the first four episodes of the red rising <laughs> don't and cut do it, it down. You're, it, they're uh, they're fine uh, i kind of you you don't see the the numbers that i see and i'm like ooh, <laughs> we true. got a weird fall-off point at episode three and i'm like ha, ha, ha no <laughs> it gets a golden sun it's so much better mm-hmm. um but yeah insider insider talk well you know that's the game mm-hmm. like i said i don't want to talk about red rising too too much because i'm afraid i'll spoil it good call but so one main thing i want to bring up okay so on my episode with howler pod one of the things we got into is sort of bromances dynamics going on and so i'm curious what you guys think of which pairing you prefer the darrow severo combo or the darrow and cassius combo oh absolutely severo Okay. I he's he's essentially a space meme lord. Like what else what else would I want out of a character? <laughs> that that is entirely like PJ's existence is basically Severo as a person, but like a tall Severo, like somewhere between yeah. Ragnar and Severo. He, Severo, oh, we did we talked about this. I think he is one of the few gold shorter than me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, PJ is giant. He's six seven. Like just yeah, I I thought that was funny when um initially you thought Daryl was the same size or smaller than you, and you were like you didn't understand that the gold were tall because they were didn't your height. <laughs> and I was like, must be nice, you know. I'm like, I'd be a little bit tall for a red. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. So any anything else on PJ on Severo? Um, Severo Bernard and I, I over the I'm Cassius sure... Bernard. I'm sure I'm getting a little bit biased from just amount of time that I've spent with that pairing, but um, it seems more volatile, which I think think makes for better stories. Like there, there, there was a great um, friend, uh, partnership, I guess, partnership between Darrow and Cassius right away, but it. it it didn't have its run i think in order to cement itself in my mind man what what i'm so like casually shocked by is that you didn't like throw roke inside of that episode i was kind of i was kind of upset about not talking about the roke bromance but i understand why you didn't because roke is an evil bastard but like <laughs> yeah at the same time i appreciate i think that relationship more than the th- the other two i think that the relationship with roke is um of the bromances feels like the love triangle because he could have chosen Severo or Roke but chose didn't didn't really choose either and Severo chose to be Darrow's friend and kind of initiate the conversation of reigniting and being like I know you're red and kind of like led into that whole thing right Severo chooses to be that and Roke is looking to be chosen meanwhile so it it feels like a, a kind of a bromancy love triangle to some degree and i would i would say that um that's i i'd pick roke um but yeah i love yeah. how I crossland thomas asks one question about the book series <laughs> and you completely ignore the options <laughs> that's, that's my like state of being so <laughs> you asshole. Uh, but if, but if i if i had to choose i would probably say the relationship with Cassius, I think, is more interesting. Okay. Um, I, but yeah. bromance is questionable. Yeah, yeah, I, I gotcha. Um, I just didn't know how to couch it, yeah, I guess. Yeah, totally. To, uh, relationship 
I guess would work. Mm-hmm. I am a bigger fan of the Darrow Cassius pairing as well, which is why I would ask it. Um, I don't really... I think Severo is great. I don't get the level of love the fandom has for him. It's a, um, he's a meme he's sort of. Yeah, but like that's that's it, really. I think he's yeah, kind I mean, of... It, it's definitely a lot of I shock I think he's a little value. played out. Like, yeah. there, there's certainly some shock value to it. Um, hmm. I just... There, I, there aren't a whole lot of characters out there that are like him, you know? Like, the closest hmm. character in fiction that I can think of reasonably is maybe Loki to some degree. But, Lo- like, Severo doesn't have, like, Loki's evil streak from modern MCU movies. Right. You know? Similar. I could Yeah, I just, like, that. chaos. But more exaggerated, PJ. We know that you don't like the Avengers movie. Yep, that's the one I'm talking about. That's what we're going to talk about. Which one? <laughs> the first the, Avengers movie. The first movie. one. Oh, I okay. hate that movie so much. What about... Okay, we can get into that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Anyway. Because I have a lot of... Now I've laid a lot of questions, but that's fine. <laughs> no, like, fine. I'm, I'm not outraged by that. Yeah. But. The, the one thing that I want to say before we depart Red Rising entirely is that I think that it's semi-genius, and we haven't really talked about this a whole lot on the podcast, but that um, Pierce Brown basically created a love triangle where one of the members of the triangle is dead, right? Where, factually, EO is a dead part of the love triangle and Darrow is mm-hmm. so latched onto her for so long but is still debating between this dead woman and Mustang continually right. and that that like pressure is so interesting is that a love He's got triangle? a dead person that well, would require I mean, EO to of. be in love with Mustang but Mustang is kind of in love with EO oh, that's she's a good point. in love with the idea that EO presents so it's it that's does a create a, like a dead person love triangle yep. that they're all like flexing around and that's something we haven't talked about in the podcast yet that I'm excited to get at the end of the trilogy but you know that's that that's a preview of what I think I have a little bit more in that vein but I don't know if I can broach it so I'm gonna just move on I'm gonna keep it moving good call um <laughs> for PJ's sake yeah so, as far as an adaptation goes, uh, are you guys excited for a potential TV show? How, like, how on board would you be? We talk about this all the time. We talk okay. about just this, the cinematic adaptations that can go through a lot of the pivotal scenes in the books. And oh, yeah. it's one of my favorite ways to frame the scenes is to think about how it would be adapted. I love, I love talking about that. It's it's very clear to me that as Pierce Brown was also becoming a, fi- a regular writer, a novelist, um, he also was beginning to start screenwriting and beginning to work inside of screenwriting. And some of those scenes are so plainly detailed where you can follow them from A to B that it feels like it's written directly for a screen, mm-hmm. especially the action. He's said in a couple of different interviews that... Um, he actually doesn't like writing the action scenes as much as the emotional scenes. Like, that's his, the way that he does it. But he does it more brilliantly than anyone else, I think, because he approaches it like a movie. He, it's just, it's all visually there. Yeah, you can you picture everything scene. very easily, um, and it's not boring. Yeah, right. I, we get into it a lot more in the Golden Sun episodes, so I think you'll appreciate that. Um, that's where we really start to talk about cinematography and kind of some scene design. But I, I would absolutely adore a show it cannot be on Netflix because Netflix will cancel it after a season and a half, um, which fuck them. Um, with strong feelings. Um, yeah. Give it to HBO showtime showtime at the very least. We'll give it four seasons. Like I'll take four seasons. That's almost, that's most of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's space game of Thrones. Right. Like exactly. it's, 
midst with yeah. Ender's game because everybody's a genius. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's how I always try to get my friends into it. I've only succeeded with one, and then I got my mom and uh, stepdad. Yeah, well, well, you have to. My dad adored this series. He actually finished book five before I did. Wow. Um, after I introduced it to him, he read through the first three books. I had barely hit the third book by the time he had finished it. We went last January for my sister's wedding. He had 40 pages left in Iron Gold, and he left it to bring Dark Age because he's like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, nothing, nothing that dramatic mm-hmm. can change in the last 40 pages. And I was like, what the fuck are you thinking? Very dad? bad choice, <laughs> especially that book. And then he finished Dark Age on the beach, like just read the whole thing in the middle of my sister's wedding, <laughs> or between. He was, he was officiating. Yeah, yeah, got it. It was a it was a hell of a time. He just kept he just kept like walking away from the pool and just like shaking his head with the book in his hand. It was just, uh, <laughs> it's a time, all kinds of emotions. That really, that's like a that's just a huge mood, honestly. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, the hardest part about Red Rising for most newcomers is just getting through the first 50 pages right after that it's gold that's actually so i initially discovered the series um from rick riordan he always he sometimes puts on his blog like the books he's reading and so he put that in uh the broken empire Mm -hmm. trilogy and so i got both of those at the same time and i started red rising because i was like this is sick and then put it down and didn't go back to it for like a year and read like a whole bunch of other books, and then I was like, you know, I bought the whole trilogy, gotta read these books, even though it like seems like it's gonna suck. And then I read it, and I got past, like, got through the first part, and then couldn't put it down mm-hmm. after that. Yeah, I, I was listening on an audiobook. I had a similar. It wasn't Rick Riordan, although I do like the original Percy Jackson series. I haven't read anything else, um, but I was looking for really good science fiction to replace a couple of the series that I had finished. And I just Googled, you know, best science fiction released in 2018. And I think Dark Age was on the list or 2019 or whatever it was. Dark Age was on the list. And I just snagged the the series um, with Ancillary Justice, which is a very interesting sci-fi novel. Um, but yeah, and I, I immediately went through the, I tore through the series. It was all an audiobook at the time because I was doing a lot of commuting and it just made sense to do an audiobook form. So I didn't have a problem with the first 50 pages zone because it was being read to me and it was kind of, you know, inaudible. Um, but yeah, picking up the book, I can totally understand where it'd be difficult to get through without kind of some of the flair that the narration gives it. Right, because as that classic uh, sci-fi jargon, all these terms you don't understand and then it's all built, it's setting up it's very um like expositioning mm-hmm. i guess I, yep. I always liken it to be sort of shakespearean compared to the rest of it. it it's very um just wordy for being for the sake of being wordy i felt like yeah yeah that's that's definitely fair i think that as the i i always i always get back to this whenever we talk about it as I've completed the five books in the series and I look back at that first book, I always feel this sort of like coming home feeling like the Lord of the Rings, like the Return of the Sky, Return of the Shire with the Scourge, but like the recovery afterwards, not not the end of the novel where everything's burning. Yeah, I mean, it, it gives me that kind of like coming home feeling where it's like, oh yeah, this is what life would be like as a red slave. And <laughs> it's, well, it's not positive. It does feel homey to some degree. Um, 
Yeah, that's one of the interesting things now, because then now when you read it, you enjoy mm-hmm. those parts. Totally. Me. PJ does not. Very he's, nice. he's re-listened to it and still doesn't like it. Um, I haven't re-listened to it in a long time, though. Okay. So I think you said it in, last, in this week's episode that you re-listened to it and didn't like it. Yeah, but it's been it's still been <laughs> a couple months, probably. Fair. Okay. All right. So, for safety's sake, I'm going to steer us Good out call. of this conversation. And because I'm so intrigued... Uh, let's turn into Marvel a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, are you guys comic book fans at all? I have been a rabid comic book fan since I was a kid. Um, my dad was a comic book fan. He has a couple of signed um, old Stanley. He's got the, my mom, before they got divorced, long before they got divorced, uh, bought him a signed Stanley, uh, the Marriage of Jean Grey and Cyclops edition, and has one of like 200 that are signed by stanley and the artist and it's yeah I've, I've always been obsessed from a very young age age of apocalypse is my shit as far as comic book series go but yeah and okay. days, days of future past but i alternatively enjoy comic books don't have many i don't think i actually own you've, any physical comic you've books. got watchmen over your i shoulder. do have i've got graphic novel i've got yeah, watchmen at the very least i've got uh but pj reads nothing yeah. So it's fair to assume that PJ does not know. You actually read most of Deadpool, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I've read comic books, um, and I enjoy them. I just never really got into... I, I never took the time to get into them. Yeah. I gotcha. I'm very much a comic novice. Uh, I think most of my life, I thought there was like a stigma attached to them, I guess. I was just like, my, like I would read a real book. Um, and then one of my good friends who I actually had on the show, yep. he convinced me, he uh, convinced me to start reading the Marvel ones. And so I got it. He got me into superior Spider-Man. And then I was like, I've started reading all like the modern hits basically. Mm-hmm. So I have like a shallow, uh, knowledge of them. totally cool. I think what's so great about comic books is that there's something for everyone and you really just need to find mm-hmm. like your lane, what you enjoy. Um, I've always been a fan of like anything Mark Miller touches as far as comic book goes, comics book, comic books go. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with a lot of the, the classics. I recently reread the original infinity war was one of the things that I pulled okay. out like uh, two or three months ago. I, I don't, I don't keep up with active releases as you had mentioned in the podcast that you're talking about or that you're referencing to, I'm in a similar vein where I want the whole thing to be out there before I start to tackle it. That way I can kind of piece through the whole story. I don't like the, with comics, I don't like the week by week structure of it. I do like it with TV, um, but I don't like it with interesting comics. Can't tell you why, but it's just my feelings. Okay. So PJ, the floor is yours. Uh, Give us your Avengers take. Avengers one. All right. In this universe, Okay. What are the fucking rules? What are the rules of physics in this universe? Right away, early on, uh, Iron Man and Thor are fighting. And Iron Man takes Mjolnir to the chest, gets flown through a full-blown oak tree, suits undamaged. Totally undamaged. And then it just gets kind of... He's got micro that is shields. The power of American engineering, you know. Yeah, but then it gets crushed by <laughs> Thor's hand of Tony Stark. Of thirty seconds later. Well, so in the comics, in uh, the Civil War arc, I think there's a part where Thor, or someone says that Thor mentions he never goes one hundred percent on a human. 
or on any mortal, um, no matter the stakes. So I kind of took it as he was just like basically going easy, and then he saw what Stark could handle, so then he squeezed him a little bit harder. Okay. I, there, can... I think a lot of these movies, you just kind of have to be like, uh, this is a comic book movie, so you have to... Yeah. Like you have to treat it as a comic book, not like a movie. Almost. So that's that's I guess where my hang up is a little bit because they they seem to try to approach it as a superhero movie outside of the world of comic books and within mm-hmm. the real world, following hypothetically real world physics, and uh, there's just so much discontinuity between those two sort of states of mind. Um, and this is also just making me realize more and more that my my flavor of sci-fi is probably hard sci-fi. Yeah, your kids of probability, as we've talked about it even, lean into hard sci-fi, which mm-hmm. is okay. Um, you know, that's not to say I, I'm very intrigued. Something that we've we've talked about, and this this is a tangent, and then we'll come back. It's a Marvel comic book, so it counts. Um, but. The Dark Tower is something that I'm very interested in exploring with you because it's strange and weird and not really like it's science fiction, but it's not sciencey fiction. But to the to the same degree with what you're saying about the Marvel universe, I think that Joss Whedon just kind of like thought that he was throwing action figures at each other with this movie. And he kind of was. And people liked that he was throwing action figures at each other. And afterwards they started to take it more seriously yeah. but this movie kind of feels like a break this, in the reality. this movie felt like joss wheaton himself had replaced like joss wheaton had replaced himself with every shitty 80s action movie and uh just let mm. it run wild a little bit um which maybe is a little bit harsh I don't think it is. So I'm actually, Emily, uh, my girlfriend, is, we're, we're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she that's corny. It's great, and it's intentional, and it's kind of campy, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and that's the way that he writes. And I think that he thought that this was being fun, but a lot of people, like, it, it is fun. Don't get me wrong. But he's writing in that exact same style. Like, he's never diverged mm. from that inside of Avengers until he got to Ultron. And I think Ultron is different. I know that you don't love Ultron as much as I do, Thomas. Yeah. But I love Age of Ultron. I think that Age of Ultron was a phenomenal movie and it's definitely much better than the first Avengers movie. I'm basically of two minds about Age of Ultron. Um, I think to a degree, some of my takes on it have been colored by uh, recent revelations about what Whedon's been up to on some of his sets, uh, which is tough. It's a tough look for the guy. But in general, I thought it was just a little bit too quippy some of the things i just wanted more i think i think it, i probably just fell victim to the hype uh because you know it's the second one they kind of have the formula figured out and james spader as ultron was so awesome he was so fucking good like he killed it what what i'm constantly waiting for is the eventual yeah, return of ultron i really thought it was going to be and... an after infinity war i thought it was going to be one of the post credit scenes it was going to be vision's body waking yeah. up in some crypt and being like, start humming, there are yeah. no strings on me. I was like, cool, I'm uh, in. I think that's still possible without going into it. Um, those those are my thoughts. But continuing back to the Avengers, the original movie, so much bullshit just shows up out of nowhere, it feels like. Um, and it's trying to unite all these people, and it makes sense with the way that they get together, but the rest of the plot is just kind of like stringy along garbage. Not as bad as Star Wars Episode Nine, but almost. 
So uh, one of the other things that really kind of bothered me. Iron Man flying through the portal into the into the emptiness of space with the nuke and then falls through the emptiness of space mm-hmm. back towards earth instead of floating instead of continuing just drifting off continuing his momentum oh, yeah, in yeah. the direction that he yeah. should be yeah like you could argue that gravity is being pulled through the portal but then everything else that's yeah. there should also be being pulled through the portal leaning through the portal that's movie bullshit that makes no sense (laughs) and then just the i don't know stark's suit in general and how much of a gloopy pile of pink goo that tony stark should be after all the impacts that he receives Mm -hmm. but yeah the air badge and that thing yeah (laughs) no kidding (laughs) right falling at terminal velocity from essentially space and Mm -hmm. then getting hit perfectly sideways by the Hulk and then just kind of being screamed awake after landing on the ground. So he's in concussion protocol yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, but there's no, I mean, there's he definitely no, has there's PTSD. no power in the suit, That's the though. entirety of Iron the Man 3. The suit is powerless but... at that point. Right. That was the point. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so he should be dead. <laughs> he should be dead, dead. Yeah. He should be paced. <laughs> it's <don't> tough. <laughs> uh at, at the very least, Red Rising, like, superheats people and they die inside of their suits, you know? Like, there's there's a decent amount of... I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying there's a decent amount of reality. There was um, an interview that Pierce did. I think it might have been on Howler Pod, where he... Someone was, like, complaining to him about plot armor that Darrow has, and he was just like, no shit, <laughs> like... He's like, he shot <laughs> yeah, himself... Well, welcome to writing a main <laughs> character. He shot himself <laughs> into a spaceship. Like, just in a suit, um, yeah. I want to keep writing these books. What's up? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, he's going to live. It's just funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real twit, I love Iron Man 3. I think if it... I also okay. love Iron Man 3. It's filmed in the city that I live in. So Very nice. Wilmington, North Carolina. I just sent you something. You you do not live in Wilmington. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten it yet. I get an alert, actually, no, but when I get packages. I mean, your address is not in Wilmington. <laughs> Leland, whatever. It's just it's a suburb. It's it's like Clearwater and Saint Cloud. Anyway, that's a weird comparison. Similar, okay. uh, random okay. Minnesota jokes on the podcast. Anyway, we'll ignore okay. it. I'll have uh, my girlfriend's brother. He lived in Minnesota for a spell. I'll see if he can uh, break it down for me. Fair enough. Yes, yes. Uh, but so I think Iron Man three, if it was in a later phase, would have been even better because they would have let Shane Black cook a little bit more. Uh, but that said, I do think it's mm-hmm. incredible. So I was just curious to see your thoughts. I, I loved Iron Man 3. I think it's a great movie. I love, that's one of my favorite comic book arcs, actually, that Iron Man has in general. Um, cannot recommend it more. God, why is my brain blanking? I'm going to blame the alcohol. But um, oh, what's the, the disease called that they get? Extremis. That they catch? Yeah, the, the extremists. That, that's the entire name of the um, the the comic book arc. It's phenomenal. It was recommended by to me originally by our friend... Um, Chase, who was a big comic book reader and everything else, and made sure that I read that one easily. One of my favorite Iron Man comic books. And I, I loved the movie. I just felt like it should have been a longer arc because that's mm-hmm. the way it is and the story and the way that it incorporates into Tony. And it changes him. The The comic book arc is about addiction, wherein the arc in Iron Man 3 is about PTSD, which, interesting, similar, not the same. 
I, uh, I don't want to come across as like a hater of all things Marvel. It's mostly just Avengers one. Okay. <laughs> that I really, <laughs> for whatever reason, that movie sticks, sticks in me a little bit. Well, the, the um, first half of Avengers of the first Avengers is not good. So like, I'm not a blind fanboy. Like I, it's not, it has a lot of problems. I just, I don't understand. Maybe it's just the amount of dollars that they threw at the entire series in general right off the bat. But I don't understand how how that movie gained so much traction. Well, I think it was in a unique space. It was the first of a universe of like different characters announcing this connection. And that was that was a big deal. Like you you watched five different movies and you're gonna see these five different movies become one movie. And at the time that was but very all those unique. other movies were it's kind of safe. approached in a much more serious way than this one was. Like this yeah, but people didn't know that until yeah. the movie came out, <laughs> which is yeah. part of the problem. I, I agree with you, though. I think that that's the thing is like Captain America, the original first Avenger, people get like eaten mm-hmm. up. I, I recently have done like a full rewatch with a friend, get like chewed up by airplane engines. They get thrown into fucking airplane engines. They're dead. Mm-hmm. They're toast. Like you see the blood meat fly out the other side. Disney in phase two would have never touched something right. like that. And Disney did take um, over, which now they're getting back to but, half, like yeah. halfway through phase one, right? Cause they weren't there for the first Iron Man and yes. Yeah. The incredible Hulk. Iron thing. Man two. They also weren't there for uh, Captain okay. America. It was Iron Man two. I believe that they took over. And then the Avengers, I think was the, and yeah, they spent sure more right. money on John Carter than Avengers. Yeah. True. Adeline. And John Carter is a steaming pile. Um, I generally don't like to, for for the record, I generally don't like to shit on things. I like to think critically about them and mm-hmm. see like and pick apart the mistakes more. But this John Carter is one of those things where I have read through the script, I've been through all of that in my own head, and I'm just like, yeah, no, no, it's not good. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't you can't do anything about that one. I I am going to once again go back on what I just said about the seriousness of the movies, because one of my favorite films in the series is Thor Ragnarok. Um, but, but it's approached so in a way that's so much more intentionally silly. Whereas Avengers one mm-hmm. is kind of straddling the line between like not serious and serious. And they, they just don't mesh properly. I feel like. Yeah. Could not agree more. And I, I feel very similarly about some of the later entries. Um, even the, man, the newer Spider-Man also treads that line in a very, the newer Spider-Man movies tread, tread those lines in a great way. Um, specifically Homecoming, I love kind of the the presentation of Michael Keaton's Vulture with uh, kind of the, the obviously sarcastic childhood Spider-Man image that you get from Tom Holland and kind of the whole way that that gets integrated together, I think is genius i think michael keaton also is just in general an underrated actor um and i think everyone who hates birdman is wrong there's my hot take that i do not want to elaborate on i haven't seen it so um i can't even press you oh man i i think i think it's a great movie and i think it deserved all of the accolades well it got them all so i guess history says you're Mm -hmm. right deservedly so i think birdman is one of those movies that crossland you and i watched at the end of a night of drinking after playing galaga um so i don't remember most yes, of it which means that you fell asleep <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Uh, Crossland and I have this tradition where uh, at the end of a night of drinking or partying or whatever we're doing. We're typically the last two because we we just stay up late. That's like our thing. Uh, And we have Galaga or had Galaga on Crossland's Xbox. And we weren't allowed to play it sober because we didn't want to ruin the the leaderboards. So we would just get wasted and play Galaga for several hours and then somehow watch movies or something afterwards, which was never, yeah, never something I remembered. Never advisable, but, but yeah. So our, our Galaga leaderboard was effectively a drunk Galaga mm-hmm. leaderboard. That's nice. Yeah. We're naturals at <laughs> this whole thing, in case you can't tell. I don't know if that's healthy or not, but here we are. Still standing. I'm actually sitting right now, but thank you. How does everyone feel about M. Night Shyamalan's take on Avatar? Awful. <laughs> like, <laughs> the worst. It's my favorite movie of all time. You're we. fired. <laughs> Absolutely fired. We, we were just talking about The Servant, and PJ said he had strict feelings about season two where he didn't finish it, so I felt like it was a good point to cut yeah. in. Yeah, so uh, we we my girlfriend and I found season one because um, she got she got a new phone, so she got a free trial of Apple TV Plus, and that's that's one of the shows on there. So we watched the first season, loved Ted Lasso. I, Continue. I will. I will watch that. Do it. But, Do it. Um, You'll watch it in a night. <laughs> all right. Good to know. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll do that right continue. after this, but. Um, Servant, first season, very, very, very good. And we were super excited because we finished it like a week or two before season two came out. And we started watching it weekly on Fridays when it was released. And season two is not as good, man. It's really, it's fallen off hmm. quite a bit. I, 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 I can't really speak to it since I know you guys, or I know at least Crossland hasn't seen the first season. And I think that's worth watching. But season two sucked. So we got through half of it and stopped. And we might finish it when it's all out. Mm -hmm. But we stopped waiting for Fridays for it to be released. That's that's definitely fair. What I would say, what's very interesting about, um, in this short conversation, but about M. Night Shyamalan's career and the way that he writes things is he is a very talented fiction writer of whom should, I think, be a writer and not necessarily a director. But he writes and directs a lot of things, and I think he does better when he's a writer. Um, and his so his written and directed by things are better than his directed with someone else writing, generally. That's not to say he didn't fuck up Avatar, because he did, and he did also have the, technically the last script draft of that. Um, but, yeah, it's... Man, I'm I'm hit and miss on Shyamalan, but when he hits, he hits hard. Like, man, I I didn't love Glass, but I did really like Split, and Unbreakable is excellent. Um, yeah, but, ugh, among like Signs and a number of other obvious Sixth Sense, uh, The Village even is good, even if you predict the the ending at the beginning. Like it's the the trouble with Shyamalan is that everyone is like 
there was a twist though because you're you're this guy mm-hmm. you're this twist guy now and i think that he kind of needs to defeat that narrative it is kind of a horror thing though to be like a twist at the end to like show or reveal everything so it's not it's not shocking that he went down that road it's just sad that he's singularly known you no know, it would be really funny hmm. if he made like a almost a comedy thriller where it's constant suspense and constant tension building with no payoff. I agree. I think that that is like one of the best general ideas with things is like you can stress people out effectively now that he's built up this name. I I feel very similarly about Stephen King to some degree uh, where you can just build it up and never pay it off. And like you, you, the people will just be like, what the fuck? Like I had this expectation. It's like, well, fuck you for having an expectation. Like I'm just going to create um speaking so. of stephen king oh yeah are you guys big uh big king fans i am a fucking huge stephen okay. king nerd dude i've no question i've read a little bit okay it's I've it's read, books so i haven't read many okay yeah pj has read one short story at the very least that i know of by stephen king that i forced him to read for the podcast okay. what was that it was free Lori. Um, so Lori. Which is uh, about an old man and his dog. It's a very, it's a very character-driven story. It's not anything shocking. It's just King being King, writing a little short story. But I have read everything. Okay. Except for three books. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Multiple times. I'm a king head, okay. as they say. I did just yeah. recover a whole bunch of uh, audiobook credits, so I picked up a couple Stephen King books. Um, Which ones? Uh, let me see. It is one of them. It's worth it. Yeah, I, I figured that'd be worth it. Um, let me pull it up right here. The Stand. Oh my God. It might be the Stand. Like, uh, if so, it, it's worth maybe noting on the podcast and talking about it on the whole. One of the books that got me into reading in general and it pro- propelled my love of language and everything else was The Stand, and the character. Um, Tom Cullen, as well as Nick Andros and Randall Flagg, The Green Mile. The Green Mile's great. What's really interesting is that it was serialized, so he released that 100 pages at a time. Oh, interesting. Um, Didn't realize originally. That. Yeah. Uh, he, but The Stand, those three characters, Randall Flagg is one of the best villains ever written, ever put to page. <laughs> fuck Ajax. Fuck Aja. Fuck anyone else. Randall Flag all the way. Those are um, no question. Interesting comparisons you made. I would say I'm not, the, I'm not familiar with uh, the stand, and I'll elaborate on that later. But I'm not sure that Aja yeah, profiles as a clear villain. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, she's she's an interesting and complex character, and I can't wait until PJ finishes the trilogy so we can talk about it more. Uh, she becomes Darrow's love interest, doesn't she? <laughs> Fuck yeah, she does. <laughs> These have been or- PJ's predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> the So I don't know if you guys have listened to the audiobook of The Mist. Um, yeah. So the voice that TGR does for Aja sounds like Mrs. Carmody to me. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. what Octavia should sound like. I think I feel like Aja and Octavia's voices are mixed up. Ooh, I don't like Mrs. Carmody. Me neither. Oh, no, no. But yeah, kind of. Um, Mrs. Carmody actually reads more on the paper, like thinking about it more as, correct me if I'm wrong, Carmody is the religious one, mm-hmm. the fanatic. 
okay. She, to me, reads as an exaggerated Octavia. Um, and so, but I agree with you. I think that TGR's voice for Aja fits. Are you saying that I'm it's saying, the other way around? Yeah, I'm saying it's the other, other way, around. way around. I feel okay, like yeah, his yeah, Aja no. voice is more Octavia than Aja. It sounds like an You're old right. lady to me, which to an yeah. extent she is, but not for gold. Right. I mean, Aja is 50 years old, right. but like, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I I adore Stephen King. Okay. And ultimately, there is a goal here of getting PJ to read. I have a Dark Tower plan or a Stephen King universe plan at some point. Okay. How many um, years would that take us? 87, So I think. my plan would take about two years, which is crazy. It's ambitious. It's, Ugh. yeah. Uh, I, it's only, so on top of the seven regular books, it's a short story and two other books, three other books. So it's so 10, ten books and a short story. Yeah. Yeah. But weirdly divided somehow. Well, yeah. That's showbiz. Why can't you choose normal things? Dude, the Dark Tower consistently is rated in the top 10 science and fantasy series of all time. Because it deserves to be. Okay. It, I mean, dude, I, there's no I have no like reason it. to not believe you. No story like it. But what, Thomas, what do you know about the Dark Tower? Um, so, I'm going to back up really. real quick. Yeah, so, my introduction probably. to Stephen Chain was summer reading going into 11th grade AP English okay. no big deal oh, we had to read it's fine. on reading which on is writing. on writing and I was just like fuck this guy book. oh like you're gonna tell me how to write Stephen T- well, t- picture you're like 15 reading this though or however old I you are I read it when I was 15 well, it sucked. what are you talking about <laughs> I was so mad I was like dude who are like you write pop pulp fiction like chill out what are you doing you're gonna tell Children me how to write via zoom <laughs> that's fine continue, but continue. so like it just felt he felt so arrogant and that was literally the first Stephen King book i ever read oh, so man. it was tough and it was like well, i don't need your autobiography mixed in with like you telling people how to write so it was just a tough because intro he never talked about his life he never talked about his life that was that was why i mean but anyway my first continue, introduction continue to reading your... stephen king was a short story where literally nothing happens <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, All right. Lori? Some yeah. yeah. Something happens, but it's not really worthy of being a real story. <laughs> yeah, it's worthy of getting to know it was, man. It was clearly a writing exercise by him to like flesh out a character. And mm-hmm. it, it's interesting in that way in that he he very quickly and um, deftly. Deftly, yeah. That's the yeah. proper term. Here creates the this story or this character. Out of thin air. But he doesn't do fuck all. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Thomas, what was the rest of your on-writing story? Sorry. Sorry, Sorry, Sorry for that the I derailed you to begin with. But I think that was it. I think, um, so like, that arrogant teacher fuck. didn't like... Stephen King was an arrogant fuck. Yeah, and I think the teacher didn't like my writing style. So um, it was, like, the mm. first B I ever got in an English class. So I was like, oh. Oh, God. So I think that kind of scarred my impressions of Stephen King. Hmm. Have you read anything since? I've listened to I have like the Skeleton Key or Skeleton True audiobook on Audible. That's a great one. So I've listened a lot to of some of those short stories. The Raft. The Mist is very good. And The Jaunt. The Jaunt I think is in Skeleton Crew. The Jaunt okay. is Stephen King's scariest stories ever written. It's one of the most horrifying things yeah, ever. It's like 50 pages. I think we're going to do it on the podcast. 
in like nice. two. I, I think between my plan, I think is to do it between Dark Age and Iron Gold, <laughs> just to kick off the energy of Iron Gold or Dark Age. But <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's terrifying. But yeah, Skeleton Crew. What else? Which is the Mist? Uh, that yeah, the, I think just the Mist, and then I started one, but the narrator wasn't very good, so I was like trying to figure out how to skip that chapter which I think I can sense because mm-hmm. uh, this was like a year or so ago. And that's it, really. Um, I watched 11.22.63. I don't know how loyal that is to the book. I like that a lot, so I was thinking of giving the book a try. Very, very loyal. That is, um, of the recent Bibles, as they're referred to by <laughs> Stephen King, constant readers, that is the best modern Bible he's put out. He's got like four or five what what people call Bibles. So there's the stand, there's it, there's under the dome, and there's eleven twenty two sixty three. Insomnia is almost Bible. That's like seven hundred fifty eight hundred page mark. Is okay. what is called a Stephen King Bible. So I thought yeah. you meant it launched some sort of religion, which you clearly Basically. are part of. <laughs> you know, I I've got a problem. I'm definitely a tower junkie. Cause a wheel, baby. Cause a wheel. <laughs> yeah, he. We have to pull him out of different cults all the fucking time. <laughs> Just this one cult, <laughs> but it's constantly. It was one time. No big deal. Okay, so shifting gears. What are hmm. you guys' thoughts? Uh, are you Star Wars fans? I enjoy myself some Star Wars. Okay. I think some is a good underlined word there. I, I enjoy a Star Wars... Very much. Every time a Star War comes out, I have many feels about a Star War. <laughs> a okay. Star War. Is that Every the time... proper singular term? Yes. Uh, no, I've I've been a longtime reader of the entire Legend series of everything Timothy Zahn did. Okay. Of uh, the... Uh, God, I can't, I can't remember what this series is titled, but with Jason and Jaina, the end of that, I think it was the New Republic... Uh, the like twelve book arc with Bloodline and Betrayal and a number of other books. Um, I, my dad growing up was a prolific Star Wars fan, big big fan, and he had an entire room in our basement devoted to action figures, uh, all of the action figures in their case still completely unopened from nineteen eighty one. Everyone from nineteen eighty one until I think at the very least 99 and then he collected sporadically through like 2003 through the prequel trilogy coming out and then sold it all in like 08 09 for like some money for his triathlon bike basically worth of money but yeah it's always been like ingrained in me like written in my dna Mm -hmm. that i was a star wars fan okay um so you guys have you seen everything or just some things I think the I, the only one I haven't seen yet is um, Rogue One. Actually, what? Okay, I re- okay. I watched this my first bout of college, uh, and it. I don't think I was sober, and I did not grip me the first twenty minutes, so I turned it off. Haven't haven't looked back since. Dude, it's <laughs> um, fair. I've, I've watched everything. I actually just finished a complete linear rewatch in which I also watched all of the TV shows, a lot of which I hadn't actually watched. Okay. Well, I haven't watched Clone much Wars. of the TV shows. Um, okay. And 
God, Rebels, uh, of which the first season was meh and the rest was very good. Okay. Um, and I also watched Age of Resistance interspersed between the movies appropriately. I did a full linear correct no bones about it rewatch. How is uh, Age of Resistance? It's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, it's better than the worst of Clone Wars and Rebels, but it's an, it never hits the highs okay. that Rebels or Clone Wars hits. Okay. Re- uh, I think Clone I... Wars, the highs are the best of the universe, I think. So I, I think I've seen the first... I don't know if they've even finished the first season of Clone Wars, which Crossland actually advised that I don't watch season one. But yeah, I, I did anyway. skip season one and two, to be honest, uh, because you, could, you can get away with skipping them and then coming back to them later for yeah, lore. I'd, but for intrigue's sake, yeah. starting in season three is not a bad call. Okay. So I might need to reapproach that. Yeah. It's um, it's good. I mean, I, I have a love of a Star War, whatever a new one comes out. That's why we, we talked about... I hate that you, you call it <laughs> I love Star calling War. it a Star War. Specifically because I see your face curl up every time I say it. It's <laughs> like, oh, So uh, are uh, you ready to sign up for Space Force then? Uh, definitely okay. not. I think that it's stupid as shit and the Air Force should in fact be in charge. Or the Marines, come on. Like, whenever you Halo? think... Yeah, exactly. It's it's the Colonial Marines. It's it's mm-hmm. everything like USC. It's... It's not space force, but it's still it's still. So you're saying like we get USMC. Matt Barkley again, and he just leads it. Please, it's still a space division. Like it's still a space dedicated division. There's just called Marines. No, so it, we've moved past wars on Earth, and the Marines became in charge of the space. Yeah, but what, what's what's the the name of the organization they're a part of? I think it's USMC. Is it really? I thought it was. Uh, I'm pretty. I I feel pretty confident in that mm. I've read a decent number of Halo books. <laughs> I thought I thought there was something space focused in in the acronym U U N S C. Yeah, United Nations Space Command. Th- oh. There you go. UNSC Marine Space Command Marine Corps. I don't like the Space Command. <laughs> it's fine. While Sounds I may like have lost here. the argument, I have not lost the war. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, if I get a lightsaber, I'll join. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> seems seems unfair. I just can't argue with fist. you there. Yeah, that would yeah, and a razor would be sick. razor would be pretty cool. Actually, so how do you guys picture uh, Darrow's razor, the sling blade? I feel like the art that we see is kind of like a mixed bag. I haven't you know? seen any art fans on and okay. I, I, so I have just been avoiding all everything. Yeah. So how do you picture it then? I'm, I'm um, curious. Much like a bullwhip, a little bit thicker. Um, okay. Probably a little bit segmented. Um, with almost, I wouldn't call it ethereal, but almost. The segments attached in a way that almost resembles magnets, so they can kind yeah, of the flex fibers and have to roll out. Yeah, right. Yeah, we did the same hand motion. Not <laughs> that did. anyone listening this can is, see that. I, this but. is why I think Crossland and I don't record with our cameras on because he and I mm-hmm. do so much like hand motions to each other that I think we would uh, we would lose a little bit of our conversation. My <laughs> um, gosh, if we did it regularly. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, I sort of envision it as a thicker bullwhip with magnetically controlled segments is how I would describe it visually. I'm not sure exactly the technology that they use to do it. No, I gotcha. But the, so the shape of Darrow's sword, when he has it in sword form, is that like a sickle in your head or is it like an Egyptian sword or like a Dothraki blade? I, I imagine it more Dothraki now that you, okay. now that you mention it that way. Um, so the shorter curve, like it's still curved. It's not yeah, like a full just, harvesting sickle, but it's like a, yeah, a little bit less, uh, less extreme in the, in the curve. Part of the reason that I think it has to be a short curve is if you think about the job of a hell diver, they have to be able to like pull it out of their side and like whip it out to kill something. Mm-hmm. So it can't be like a wide blade where they have to like pull it awkwardly around their whole right. body. They've got to just be able to like pull it out of the slot. So I think I'd, I'd agree on the slight hand is the only way to go. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's represented more sittily a lot of the times. Yes. So it, it's definitely, agree. even on the cover art which i'm holding up to the camera right now it's definitely right. more of an extreme like Harvest wheat harvesting sickle, sickle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's not even like a grim reaper scythe you know which no. is kind of the way that i i kind of want to that's, dream about it but. that's how i imagine that's kind of how i imagine his his um his razor is straight and then towards like the halfway point maybe it has that slight arc. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how I imagine it. Yeah, and then it arcs back. Yeah, like it. it yeah, it's got it's got a little bit of a heft. Um, so the, from the range, you can just that, that I'd say is lop people's heads off. Right. I feel like the or symbol wheat. though of the reaper tends to be more the reaper scythe, a harvester mm-hmm. scythe, like the one in the front cover. Yeah. Although that's not the weapon, and I think that also like speaks to the elaborate myth of some a character in general that can be created is like oh he's the reaper he's got a scythe and you don't realize that it's a much more grounded weapon well i I think scythe and sickle are very different things but for for whatever reason maybe just the the fact that they both start with s um they they kind of get lumped together i think they fulfill similar they do they do but but yeah i i just can't help but think of like a big crescent you know uh whenever i think I mean, of the symbol but when i think of the weapon i think of the thin yep right right just like the front cover front cover of morning star has a sickle mm-hmm. totally i think you're right on that and i hadn't made that connection that the symbolism that gets appropriated towards darrow and the artwork and everything i imagine it more traditional wheat harvesting sickles yeah um but not not the actual weapon that he wields or the shape of Mm -hmm. the weapon that he wields right i gotcha i was just i'm always curious about that yeah Um, i had never put a whole lot of thought into that so that's a really interesting question all right, so I have one more question for you guys, and then I think you have a question for me, or just like a, a topic you want to get in with me, and then a surprise question. So I have two more questions, and then a <laughs> lightning round. Are you guys Game of Thrones fans at all? Yep, I was. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, um, I mean, yeah, similarly, but right. I mean, that's that's the that's the vibe. 
That's how we all are right now. We're broken. Yep. Hopefully, Dance with Dragons is good and can uh, save us, I guess. Anyway. I hope uh, it fails so Red Rising can begin. True. Hot take. Hot take. That's fair enough. I'll, I would gladly sacrifice George right. or R. the Dark Tower. Martin's Fuck y'all. Give me the Dark Tower it, show already, you bastards. Didn't McConaughey and Idris Elba already let you down? No, no. Yes, they did let me down. Well, McConaughey did not let me down. Idris Elba okay. did not let me down. A poorly plotted movie sequel let me down. It's, it the the movie is like book eight, but it's a bad book eight. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So <laughs> um, hot takes. If you had to pick one, game of the Game of Thrones adaptation or Lord of the Rings. Oh my god! It, okay, here's an important question: Are we okay. including the Hobbit prequels? No. Are we including the to? 1970s and 80s animated series? Oh, oh no, no, no! We're talking about the uh, <laughs> Peter, Jackson. Peter Jackson. Okay. <laughs> Just Lord of the Rings movies, though, because I only I, saw the first Hobbit, and I, I was like, I've seen like enough. I almost feel like it's cheating to. What's sad is that actually I think the other two Hobbit movies are better than the first one. Um. But, man, I think mm. I think it's a it, it's a I think it's a little bit of an unfair comparison. Um, I think I'd choose Lord of the Rings because I I love and know that story better. But I, I think it's a little bit unfair to compare them because when the Lord of the Rings was created, if it had the sort of um, societal background that we do now in that they could make a super high budget tv show instead i think it would have done phenomenally better even though i love the movies as they are um so i i think if either of them were made oh man that's a that's a tough thing if the if the lord of the rings was made in the same style as game of thrones I don't know. And if if Game of Thrones was made in the same style as Lord of the Rings as a series of really high budget l- l- long form movies, mm-hmm. I think that'd be tough too. I don't think it, I I think the TV shows overall because of the amount of time that they have would be better and the the way they can be more true to the story itself would be better, but um Man, I, I'm not answering the question by like delving into the medium. No, I mean, I mostly asked the question to spur a conversation, yeah. so yeah, that's the, fine. The medium is a difficult question, right? I mean, I think Game of Thrones, it was really sad when it got canceled after season five. I, I felt really, really bad about everyone that was involved. They, they just suddenly didn't have a job anymore. Um, and I mean, Sophie Turner had X-Men. That's fair. She did. She did a fine job with what she was given. Um, I have thoughts there, uh, but the I I really I really think I prefer even throwing in even throwing in the Hobbit series. I think I prefer the uh, Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings series over the Game of Thrones series. I don't think any of that has to do with payoff because I think ultimately where season eight is going is where the story on the whole is going. Even when George R. R. Martin finishes it, I think that ultimately the middle series the five through eight was a little bit rushed and went 
went headlong into things a little bit too quickly. I think they still got hit all the cinematic moments, but didn't build up the mythology or didn't pay mm-hmm. off the mythology well enough. But that's not to say that George R. R. Martin wasn't consulting on the whole damn thing. It's ignorant to say that he didn't have an input on the story and that they weren't following that, which I think a lot of people talk. I don't about. think I don't think that's ignorant at all. I think he gave input, and I think the writers took that input, and I think producers squashed it. Producers are writers in TV shows, for the record. Or I, I don't know the, executives, that's, that's whoever, more, that's like a, whoever, whoever is above writers in in the decision making process. I so producers are kind of, but they are the writers. So the the tough part with TV production that we're talking about, I think, ultimately came down to the producers who are also the writers being done with the show, mm-hmm. being emotionally done with the time frame, the ten years that they had dedicated, and not being willing to hand it off, and HBO not also willing to hand it off. Which is where I'm much more excited, even though I said I wish it gets canceled before it's even aired, for the prequel series that's coming than I am for the last three seasons of Game of Thrones, for the most part. Yeah, I don't know. I was also very... I don't like George R. R. Martin's writing style. I do like his science fiction writing style. He's written a number of great sci-fi novels. I don't like a Game of Thrones. Are you a fantasy fan in general? I am, yeah. But I do not... I, and I'm a Grimdark fan. I love Joe Abercrombie, um, but I do not like George R. R. Martin. I think he's over-sexualized. I think he hits the wrong notes. I think he spends time. I, I've got a lot of feelings <laughs> on, okay. on Martin to to digest. But I could have a whole conversation about what I think the Game of Thrones series did wrong. To break it down into simple terms, the books lean into magic, and the TV series leans out of magic. And they're like, while there's minimal magic inside of the book series, they still have it occasionally. So I, for for whatever reason, I think that would have made the TV show better. I because think so. The, that's ma- what I, that's the magic what was there, but never. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't lean into it. Yeah, never realized and never explored. Um, so it, it felt out of place. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and then the big bad was this myth like was the night king and it seems this like mythological they, thing right exactly and they didn't want to deal with that because uh the showrunners didn't like the magical aspects as much it seems like uh because they did shy away from it and maybe some of that was budgetary concerns to an extent um but yeah, i mean so it's it just like the most the whole show. tv program of all time right right so like they they had all of the budget in the world, but even all of the budget in the world, it's still hard to render a crazy science fiction series, you know? Yeah. Fic- fantasy. We'll call that fantasy. That's not sci-fi. But Unless you yeah. make it animated, like the perfect films that are <laughs> The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I cut out so much of our bullshitting about this, and I've had Andrew's cut out so much of our bullshitting about this. We'll just randomly go on like ten minute tirades of, "Do you remember the musical Lord of the Rings from our childhood?" <laughs> like, it's not even from our. It was old in our childhood. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's fascinating. I had those on VCR yeah. growing up. Uh, I might have yeah. too. I don't remember. Yeah. I might have ran those tapes to death. As it I'm is. terrified of Gollum and his salamandry self. <laughs> but yeah. So in general, I think we would choose Lord of the Rings. I, I think I would too. I, I love the story and it's hard for me to pull myself against that. Um, I also, strangely, um, gained an affinity for Tolkien 
it himself in college, I took a philosophy class called the philosophy of Tolkien. And it was all about yeah, for like, a reader taking a whole ass class in Tolkien seems yeah. interesting. Um, it, it didn't really focus at all on his actual literary works, but strictly focused on his world building and language building, which is vast and insane. Like the, the steps that he takes to create languages before actually writing anything. Um, for the Lord of the Rings, I believe, or for that series, for The Hobbit, I guess, he wrote, he created base languages and then created their evolutionary, like, spinoffs and created full languages out of those that used his original base language as, like, its pre- precursor and then wrote the story on top of that. As a wannabe writer, that makes me literally want to die. That's a nightmare. Isn't that yeah. insane? Yeah, it is insane. He also really has is. I mean... multiple uh, entries in Webster's Dictionary. Like, he wrote multiple definitions of words in Webster's Dictionary. Aspirational. Crazy. <laughs> to say the least. As yeah. a fellow wannabe writer, I also, it's daunting when you see stuff like that. His the first language he created, he was like nine years old. A little bit of a show off, if I'm being honest. No, so taking that and like knowing that and going through the stories makes me appreciate it that much more, and just how how rich that world is. In it's kind of unparalleled in fiction writing. I feel like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it inspired just about everything post, as far as it goes as fantasy. He was obviously, like, claimed he was borrowing from things variously. Oh, but was very adamant that he wasn't. <laughs> yes, right, right. I, I'm a big fan of, comparatively, PJ took a class in Tolkien. I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis and a lot of his writings. They, they were and I know, good friends and, best and friends. worst enemies. <laughs> Yeah, right. They they disagreed and clashed on so much. So much so that C.S. Lewis wrote a series of nonfiction books about his general philosophy, of which I think are great, mm-hmm. at the very least, as interesting philosophical touchstones so the, um, for people. The biggest... Specifically, the absolution of man. The, the biggest thing that got between them is the idea of allegory within their stories, mm-hmm. where C.S. Lewis leaned into the allegory. Like, yes, this is about Christianity. Like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is just about Christianity. And <laughs> Tolkien, borrowing from so many previous works and claiming none of it was allegory and none of it was borrowed. You know, all everyone's like, well, that's clearly about the war I mean, that you fought in, right? What, what's the. There's an opera called. Uh, is it called Nine Rings or something? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's right. Something like that, where, like, there are so many plot points in that opera that are directly the mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings saga. And <laughs> has notes. Like, post-mortem, they found notes. They found the opera with notes written in it. And the entire time he was claiming that it was not an inspiration of his. Yeah, it's... Um, Should have burned the, the receipts. The battle between... Yeah, we got the receipts at this point. <laughs> Christopher Tolkien 
is dead. So I actually don't know who the inheritor is now. Who the the right does, sparer. Does Christopher have any children or would it be Christopher's wife? I don't know. I, d- I don't know how that hands down. That's curious. I know it's the whole estate, but Christopher technically had claim over the canon. And, and so that was his big thing. And wrote. Yeah, right. Expanded on yeah. um, taking notes, expanded on the canon. Did he write um, the Silmarillion? No, but he pieced it together. Okay. And the children are here. And yeah. We've been talking about this for a long time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we are nerds, in case that wasn't clear. Yes. Um, oh, one thing that we're nerds about. This is off topic and not okay. related in the slightest. But one thing that Crossland and I are nerds about that we didn't even think to mention um, in our pre-recording. Uh, Shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, Starcraft. No, oh, yeah. We played a shit ton of Starcraft. Yeah. We. <laughs> I have always played RTS games. That's my lifeblood. Starcraft and Warcraft and, I mean, really extending into most things Blizzard until I kind of recently as they got absorbed and shat out by Activision. Yeah. Yeah, right now I'm waiting for whatever Frost Giant, the uh, the new company, puts it out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Loved, loved, loved early aughts to two, ten, 2010 Blizzard. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Gotcha. I never, uh, never got into any of that stuff. That's unfortunate for you. It is. Um, Brilliant story. Starcraft is such a good story. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It's a super cool story. As I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, our relationship sort of started with you guys commenting on some of the Instagram posts I put up about books with some of my ratings, reviews. I get more reviews than ratings. And that's just, you know, I'm trying to put content out there for the people trying to expand my skills as a commentator, I guess, because I'm horrible at reviewing things. Um, (laughs) So I was just trying to work on that. So are we. It's fine. Um, and that's actually you guys started commenting on those, and I think you had some uh, some questions for me. You wanted to drill me a little bit on that. Yeah, I I think more than anything else, um, I kind of, and maybe PJ might disagree with me here. I didn't, man. I don't like the like meh take on the end of recursion. I think that recursion is brilliantly written, and I think that the whole thing compiles itself so brilliantly in the last 20 or 30 pages where the entire entire story that's been building and compressing and uncompressing and building up these different time loops pays off fantastically through that Antarctic scene. It's, it's, it's shocking and sad that PJ and I will probably never air those episodes, but I, I fucking love that book. I really do too. Um, strangely, let's go back into the hard sci-fi thing. It, it really scratched the itch of what would it be like to truly explore explore the uh, the multiverse in mm-hmm. that, that was more dark matter though I guess that was more dark matter yeah you're right yeah yeah uh, kind of kind I think of in a way recursion yeah. does because it it really bounces mm-hmm. off that yeah. idea that every there's infinite realities you could that change are different the same realities. We, yeah. for one they, they both they both kind of hit those notes in different we ways. had some yeah. conversation in those episodes at least earlier on in uh recursion where i was trying to figure out a way where recursion and dark matter could be in the same universe Mm-hmm. And taking place simultaneously, and I th- still think it's possible. 
I think there there are some. I I think there's just some splits on the uh, the timeline that weren't explored. Like they didn't explore any of the additional splits in the timeline in recursion that they did in Dark Matter. Mm-hmm. So um, I I think I think those two universes could coincide, and I think it'd be really cool to see a series that tackles both simultaneously somehow if it be it graphic novel be it tv show be mm-hmm. it whatever just another novel by blake crouch whatever it is yeah i mean both are currently one's currently slated for a tv show and the other is slated for a movie okay. so i think dark matter is a tv show and recursion is a movie both owned by netflix and being developed by netflix i almost so. want both of them to be tv shows yeah i think so yeah. i think both I, I think both just the way they're set up lend themselves to episodic content Mm-hmm. I could see you paying off recursion better or fine enough in a movie. I don't think you could do it with Dark Matter. No, I, I, you you need at least a you need at least a few movies in order to do it. Right, right. A couple of episodes worth, mm-hmm. whichever way that shakes out. Yeah. Right. So exactly. I think that my reaction to recursion stemmed from. Uh, sort of like what we were discussing with M Night uh, Shyamalan, uh, where I was I was waiting for the twist, and I just I knew stuff was coming, and a lot of it felt like to me it was just like oh, let's get weird because that's my thing now. Um, mm-hmm. I, it just it felt cheap to me, I guess. All, a lot of the twists, maybe like the plot itself, not necessarily the way it's paid off. I just kind of I think after Dark Matter, it just kind of felt like more of the same to me. I, th- I think this is worth talking about here. Um, I've changed my attitude about the way that I think about literature and fiction a lot in the last like three or four years. I used to approach it very critically where I was critically negative of a lot of mm-hmm. things when I saw it being like an overwritten trope or something that was overdone or whatever. Instead, what I started to do is I started to approach things with the lens of whoever is writing this is a genius. They're the smartest person on earth. They're intentionally trying to do everything. And then when you get to the end, if you're like, maybe they're not a genius, then that's when you can start to like pick apart things. But when you approach the whole story and you break it down as though like this is going to be the smartest thing ever, you stop trying to predict it. You stop trying to, by predict it, I mean like piece it out based on your current conception of trends or otherwise. You just get a better understanding of where you think someone is coming from because everything ultimately that humans write is mimetic to some degree. We're borrowing from something else that someone else has already thought up. Um, and so, you know, following that ideology, if everything has already been done before, you, you need to approach it with this person is a genius. They're doing their best. The creative process is fucking hard. I, and that's why I have a, a hard time tearing mm-hmm. into anyone as, as far as that approach goes. So... With me, recursion is more about the characters than it is the plot twist. And you, you really get to love, especially in that last 20 pages, um, the the woman that the main character falls in love with. I can't remember their names at the moment. But like you really get that kind of affection that he has mm-hmm. in those recurring moments where he's reliving just a week at a time to like get back with her in in the Arctic and it's fragmenting your mind and it's just making it worse. And it's like, you can just sit in those 20 pages and if you just breeze through them, you don't appreciate it. But if you, if you sit and linger in it for a second, you're like, this is despair. Like he's experiencing deep 
despair. Yeah. So I, I think I think you mentioned something that's inherently I can see it and I can completely understand why that was in your mind and what you were looking for, but I I didn't approach it looking for any sort of twists. Mm-hmm. Um I saw it as I saw it as an adventure and a journey that was doomed for heartbreak every step of the way that would be repeated every single time. Um, And it it was just a a tragedy that was known and was going to happen, but it still hit the main characters hard every time because they, they didn't know that they've already experienced it. What I, what I think is so fascinating about that story is you can almost cut out the middle, the entire middle section of the novel. You can go from the beginning brunch that the main character has with his wife to the last brunch that he has. And you can see just even in those conversations, the way that the character changed and then him going to the bar to meet Heather. That sounds Heather, right. Is that the girl's name? Yeah. So he- going to go meet Heather at the bar and seeking her out because he knows that she's like the real deal for mm-hmm. him to some degree. And you can totally cut out the middle. You can cut out all the plot bullshit because the plot ultimately isn't what it's about. It's about the character and the character's journey through this crazy ass genius, brilliant fucking chaos roaming plot. Like you can cut that out. It's really about the way that he grows. Yeah. And he accepts his child's death and the death of his marriage. Mm-hmm. And that that's, that's sort of the motivation for him going on this journey a little bit in the first place. Not the motivation, but one of the biggest, like one of the things that attracted him towards this technology and this process was I can start over. I can save my daughter's life and we can live as a family because that was the problem. The problem, Mm -hmm. the problem between like with my marriage falling apart was my daughter dying. And if that doesn't happen, we don't fall apart. But like things, things still fall apart always. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, One of my favorite books from AP English, by the way, is "Things Fall Apart." Yeah. There you go. Um, that said, I, I took a lot of my respect for Blake Crouch from Dark Matter, in which. I knew that he did a ton of consulting and research into the actual science behind what he was making fiction based on. Um, so knowing knowing how much he cared about working within systems that are theoretical, theoretically real within our world... Yeah. Um, really got me even more invested in the next book that I read by him. All right. Yeah. I think that was probably the issue. Um, and Ross, I think you've been up very interesting points about how well he writes the characters in recursion. And um, as I've delved more into Blake Crouch's uh, work, that has definitely been his chief um, like evolution. He's gotten so much better at making his characters real and, uh, he's definitely grown as a writer, which everyone does. But um, I think... <laughs> right. Except for Stephen King. He was a god to begin with. Okay. Uh, just kidding. Um, just and then kidding. he wrote Laurie. 
Fuck you. <laughs> well, just because there's one boring short story about a dog. That's the only book. Bad. That's the only thing by Stephen King I've ever read. Right, right. I know. You made me read it. <laughs> well, it's a it's a good short story. It's not it's a nice. good short it's story. It's, it's a fine, fine short story. You're fired. It's a fine piece of writing. I wouldn't call it a story, honestly. Fine. <laughs> I love you, Crossland. As you were saying, though, about Blake Crouch and throwing. <laughs> but I, I think I was just just too much of a victim of my own hype with Recursion. So I think, mm-hmm. like, the next time I read it or if I listen to it or whatever, next time I revisit it, I think I'll definitely enjoy it more. And I did. I did enjoy it. I just think I was expecting an A+, and I got, to me, what was, like, an A-. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was what was disappointing. Because Dark Matter came up out of nowhere for me. And then... Recursion was like, I had the Dark Matter hype, and then it was also like, Goodreads was hyping it up, Twitter was hyping it up, the reviews on Amazon are hyping it up, so I'm like, this is going to be a home run out of the park, like, let's go. And I was just like, it's fine. So I, I, I wonder about that. I approached both of these books in the scenario of this podcast, where I read a small chunk of it, what, mm-hmm. like 10, 12% of the book. And then spend three hours talking about it and really dissecting it and gaining more insight from outside of the story itself from Crossland's knowledge of the processes that Blake Crouch went through while writing this this part. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think the fact that I I went through that process and really dwelled on it so much more maybe made me appreciate it a lot more but i fucking loved both of those books okay yeah i I think what's really interesting as a comparison stake that's written on a number of reviews and is written everywhere is that blake crouch especially with these last two novels has kind of solidified himself as the inheritor of like michael Crichton's throne right michael Crichton was an early late 80s early 90s writer responsible for almost the entirety of er the tv show um and a number he ghost wrote a number of books he was a huge prolific writer wrote jurassic park wrote prey lost world number of different things um but was grounded science fiction and blake crouch is kind of herald heralded as like the inheritor of that mm-hmm. title i don't think there's been anyone else close and i think that he does it just as well if not better in certain circumstances so for me like that was the hype that i had going into it and i the dark matter originally and dark matter blew my mind in the same way that prey did the first time that i read it and whew, oh so good there's some recommendations some a lot of recommendations um Dude, I got so many recommendations. I'm stuck. You will talk your ear off. I read so much shit. I, you know, I'll take them. You'll uh, drown it off. I won't be like, able you'll, to. You'll drown get it out eventually. <laughs> That's fair. You, you've got, got work, work to, to do, do of your own. Um, okay, so I have one last real question for you, and then a bunch sure. of lightning round questions. Sure. Okay, sure. So here's the question. I meant to ask it of every single guest. Only have I gotten to it once because I always I always exclude it from the outlines I send and then forget to add mm-hmm. it. All right. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Absolutely. No you bamboozle? Know, one of our actual... No <laughs> PJ man... is Bigfoot. I... I have a tie nice. that I just got for uh, Valentine's Day. 
which is a whole bunch of pine trees mm-hmm. and then Bigfoot walking amongst them. I love it. Um, my my nickname on my water polo team when I was in college was Sasquatch, but genuinely, I think Bigfoot is real. Okay, and I think he lives amongst us, amongst us, amongst us, amongst us for sure. Um, I. I think there are I think there are other intelligent species on this earth okay. that are intelligent enough to hide um, and maybe even blend in with humanity, just kind of looking like a weird, super large, hairy Eastern European guy. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure most of Eastern Europe is Bigfoot. Okay, and his couple uh, just brethren came in through Alaska. Yeah. Okay. I would say I'm a big fan of cryptids. Of all of the cryptids... You should have just made the whole podcast about that. Could have done it. Um, Of all of the cryptids, I feel like Bigfoot is simultaneously the most fictitious and the most Mm -hmm. likely. Okay. Uh, I I feel He's got the most stories about him. He's got the most there. And it feels so obtuse because there's so much random fiction that exists inside Mm -hmm. that space. But also feels like it's the most likely is that we have some sort of uh homo sapien-esque species that exists that's hiding itself realistically i think that breaking that down makes the most sense mm-hmm. homo erectus pj and i talked about on our most <laughs> podcast on monday we did uh, yeah we talked but. about that because uh in red rising they talk about how reds are Golds are homo aureate and everything else is a different subspecies. A different subspecies, but still above homo sapien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like they, they are, they have superseded humanity. And I asked if that still makes them humans and Cross said yes. So I asked if homo erectus is homo erecti. I think anthropologists homo consider them humans. I think okay. they're Right. I said, go ask one. So. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I'm like adjacent uh, to <laughs> anthropology in some ways as a historian. Yeah. So I, okay. I think that is their, what they say. They, they're they still yeah. considered humanity. I don't know if you, if you couch it that way and say humanity, I don't know, but they call them humans. Okay. I'm not sure about if like that's yeah. too specific to say humanity. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fair. fair. That's not a distinction I would have considered, but makes sense. And yeah. I follow. Yeah. Bigfoot over other things, but also maybe under Mm -hmm. other things. Yeah, because it's weird because there is so much circumstantial evidence. And then, so it's like, there has to be something there, but then it's like, why isn't there hard evidence yet then? Right. Exactly. I think um, to to throw out a random recommendation again, The Outsider does a great job of rectifying, by Stephen King, does a great job of rectifying a cryptid with cryptid information. Um, that's presented to a fictional town. It's really interesting because it's basically a hunt for a cryptid. Um, All right. So now we're entering the very first high tea obsessed lightning round. A lot of pressure on you guys here. I feel it. Pull it off. Maybe I'm feeling it. So I got a couple questions, a bunch of questions even, and I'm just going to rip them off. Favorite song. Quicksand by the story so far. Quicksand by the story so far. That's good. 
uh, taking back Sundays, better homes and gardens. Something we didn't talk about is PJ and I have a have a love for pop punk music and emo music, so we're on the same page. Oh no, I'm revising it. The Taste of Ink by the Used. Ooh, okay, okay, good choice. Uh, favorite movie? Fuck Looper. Okay. Interstellar. Not Mr. Nobody. It's up there. Mr. No- Mr. Nobody's up there. But you said that on our fucking podcast. That's like permanent. Somewhere. I said it's one of my favorite movies. Okay, Interstellar fine. is, I think, number one. Okay. Uh, favorite TV show? The Leftovers. That's in. Oh God! I this is a lightning round. I need to answer quickly, so I'm going to continue talking until I think of what I want to say. Um, that's how you work all the time. <laughs> no, that's usually you I just do. stay silent. Actually, no, you do sit in <laughs> silence. I talk until I know what I want to say. God, I don't know. Always sunny. Okay. Yeah. Um, favorite book or book series? Uh, my favorite book is The Thief of Always, but that feels like a cheat uh, because it's always been my favorite book. The my favorite book series is hands down the Dark Tower, unequivocally. But the Thief of Always by Clive Barker, Dark Tower by Stephen King. I don't have many books that I've read, and that's the entire point of this podcast that uh, Cross <laughs> and I put together. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to go with Red Rising. <laughs> that that, that book works because uh, <laughs> I don't have enough experience otherwise. Fair enough. Uh, favorite podcast? Matt and Mattingly's Ice Cream Social. It is a it's it is a go ahead. comedy improv duo slash now kind of trio with their audio guy. Uh, just bullshit podcast. I love it. Mine is Script Notes by John August and Craig Mazin. Um, or the King cast, which is about Stephen King stuff. But script notes is, I think my favorite podcast script notes. Uh, John August did a number of movies, including big fish. They talk mostly about screenwriting, writing theory, composition, things like that. Um, Craig Mazin recently did Chernobyl among a bunch of other movies and in TV shows and um, is currently developing the last of us, but they're geniuses as far as it goes with story creation and the whole process. So I love it. Okay. Going backwards. Does Chernobyl count as a TV show? It does. Okay. Then that's, then that's it. Cause that is by far my favorite piece of media ever. Okay. The, the Chernobyl mini series on HBO. Checks out. Favorite video game. I was shocked. Ooh, mine's easy. Bioshock. The first Bioshock. I want to say Bioshock 2. Not not Bioshock 2, but... Bioshock as well. Bioshock as well. Uh, Bioshock 2 is also very good. But um, I Mm -hmm. think I have to, strictly for the amount of time that I've sunk into it and the fact that we've mentioned it already, is uh, StarCraft 2. Yeah, that's definitely up there. In terms of linear story, I'd say Bioshock. In terms of full-on game, it's StarCraft. I'd agree entirely. Who killed JFK? Me. Ted Cruz. I mean, I'm it, sorry. It's I entirely deep state. Okay. I think it was the who physically killed him was probably the Secret Service agent in the car right next to him. From the hip, you know. Um, From the hip. I mean, the 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 whole pattern on his skull kind of confirms that. But you know. 
That's uh, that's the next one. With I okay, it, I it love conspiracy. Wait, that, that's what I'm saying. I absolutely with. love yeah. them. I am. I I don't know if I'd consider myself a conspiracy theorist, but one of my favorite things to do is to dig into conspiracy theories and put I myself into that mindset. So that's next time we'll do conspiracy theories and cryptids. <laughs> there we go. That's of the course. spinoff. <laughs> we can do it. All right. Uh, last one. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Frequently, I have gone up against this question, and the answer is 100. Always. 100% of the time. You're going to stomp those motherfuckers out. They're going to become little, mm-hmm. pasty, feathery pastels on the sidewalk. It's not going to be that big of a deal. It'll man. suck, though, um, like emotionally. Fine. Yeah, no, I... You have emotions. I don't. Yeah, we don't have emotions anymore. (laughs) Cross and I living together has completely obliterated any sort of emotion from either of us. Um, I think I'd have to go with the 100 duck-sized horses as well because I am significantly bigger than most people. So my my scale is like that of a baby duck for everybody else. So little ducklings. Mm -hmm. Plus, like, horses are huge. And ducks they are, are yes. really kind big. of carnivores, depending on the duck. A giant yeah. duck would be terrible. Try choking a horse. Like, how the fuck are you going to choke a duck? And it can fly. Like, You're done. Ducks have very yeah. large necks, Crossland. You could choke a duck pretty easily. What's With your thick? hands? Like, how the... It's got a dummy thick neck, though. I have Dude, dummy you giant can't... hands. Well, you do. I like, also have big <laughs> hands for my size, but, like, not... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think you could choke a horse-sized duck. This is a 16-ounce can. They're much thicker than that. <laughs> I'm just saying. I know, but my hand's like twice gonna, the size of it. I'm sure Reddit gonna has do. I'm going to break that out. That's going to be the breakout video teaser. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my hand's so big. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing I have is I like to make people make recommendations when they come on. Yeah, uh, cool. So what would you guys like I, to recommend, if anything? So you've got a recent recommendation and then an all-time recommendation is the way it's written, right? right? And it can be anything. It can be, like, content or food or, like, literally anything. We mentioned it early on, but um, both of us love the the story of the show of devs. I'm re-watching it right now. Honestly, the acting from some of the characters is a little bit rough. I'm not going to lie. That said, the story is amazing. The story is so fucking good, and I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah, I I definitely would go with recent recommendation devs. My long-term recommendation, of course, because it it changed a lot of of the ways that I think about things in general, um, is Kevin Kelly's essay, 1,000 True Fans. Um, it's a big thing that Tim Ferriss and another other a number of other people have talked about over time. But uh, Kevin Kelly was the founder of Wired, and basically the entire premise of the essay is the goal with whatever you're trying to do creatively. Consider like figure out the number that you need to live, right? The number that the total income that you need to live, and then think about the total number of fans that you need to get and the rate at which they would pay you for whatever goods and services you produce. Um, and you know, the, the entire essay is realistically, most people only need a thousand true fans to pay them about $10 a month. And that's more than, more than what you need to get away with living. Um, 
And I think that that's a great base point for people who have any kind of creative energy or ideas, output, etc. And I think that that's a great starting stone if, uh, if anyone's feeling lost in the creative mm-hmm. space. Very nice and very wholesome. That's my vibe sometimes. Not most of the time, but sometimes. Oh, and Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Anyway, I have to say that. That's a necessary plug. So thank you guys so much for coming on High Tea Obsessed. Uh, where can people find Words and Whiskey? So at Words Whiskey Pod on both Twitter and Instagram is uh, primarily where we find our find ourselves. Um, Wordsandwhiskey.show. By the way, a little bit of sort of confusion there. We spell whiskey with an E because we are American. So all of these whiskey is spelled with an E before the Y. But um, wordsandwhiskey.show is our website where you can find... Do we have our calendar up there yet? We've been saying that we have a calendar on the website. No, it's Since coming. we started recording. Yeah, no. I'm... And apparently that's not the case because we're idiots. So, but we, we have updates on when new episodes are released. We have a sort of recipe uh, page called the Top Shelf where we post pictures and the recipe of any of the drinks that we have on the show, which is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And And also great content. Personally, I'm really happy Mm -hmm. with the fact that we don't put a three and a half like page essay about the recipe before we actually get to the to the recipe. So, and it's all on one page unless you click into it. Like we, we don't fuck around with all that. Yeah, we write like two yes. lines and then you get the, the actual way to make the drink. And that's what we do. Yeah, those, those would be the main ones. Our website and uh, and Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, the only other thing I can think of is we recently launched our YouTube page, which is Words and Whiskey. I think it's just Words and Whiskey. Uh, but Words and Whiskey podcast, Words and Whiskey will get you there when you search on YouTube. And the playlists are now up. I finished that today and got those actually functioning um and that's been a that's been a big project and i can't help but just pin at the end here that we have two contributors as well that really power a lot of our a lot of what we do the two of us do um and that's tim olson and andy mm-hmm. huat and they're both critical to what we do uh in their own regards andy is our editor and tim is our website what does he call himself is he's, he's our linux graybeard who has made <laughs> Linux Greybeard, yeah, <laughs> uh, but can't help but but shout them out because they are yeah, phenomenal, awesome. They're invaluable to our success, <laughs> to our to our existence. I'd say existing. Yeah, and uh, that's, oh, that's reality. something we mentioned a couple times, I think, throughout the show is uh, Crossland's brother Bingham on Twitch. Uh, no Wheels McGee is his name, and uh, lately he's been doing a lot of pokemon diamond i think wow as well as uh team fight tactics under league and uh yeah he's a top 500 600 tft player so he's mm -hmm. crazy good and he still has friends that show him up which is a lot of fun um that's true he's um that's true he's important to us because he shit posts us so yeah that's uh that's kind of what we've got going on All right. Well, thank you guys again for coming on. That's all I got. Of course. Thanks for having us. This has been a blast.
Thank you for listening to what has been an absolutely incredible and absolutely very long episode of High Tea Obsessed. If you did what you're hearing, make sure to go and give us five stars on the platform you're choosing and tell a friend and, you know, leave us a rating, review, all that good stuff. High Tea Obsessed can be found on Twitter at High T-O Podcast, on Instagram at High Tea underscore Obsessed underscore podcast and at hightobsessed.com. Until next time, peace out.